Beyond Barbarossa, Episode 19, A Very Special Guest. Welcome to Beyond Barbarossa, the first English language podcast in the world to focus on the Eastern Front of World War II. I'm Scott Burry. I'm very excited to bring you this episode because this time I have a special guest. He's one of my favorite history podcasters and one of my overall favorite podcasters. He's a university professor, a writer, and a martial artist. And he's the man with the most famous Italian accent in the entire Potiverse. That's right, I'm talking about the one and only Daniele Bolelli, the man behind the History on Fire podcast. He's agreed to join me today to talk about history, the Eastern Front, World War II, and our own understanding of history today. Before we get to that, I want to thank Daniela for the advice he gave me about podcasting. It's not going to appear in this episode that you're going to hear, but it's important to acknowledge it and to thank him deeply for his help. On to the conversation. Welcome to Beyond Barbarossa, Daniela. Thank you so much for having me. I guess really to get started... The first thing to do is, I'm sure most of the world knows who you are, but uh, can you tell my listeners uh, a little bit more about yourself and your podcast? Sure. I um, I grew up in Italy, as probably my accent gives away. No. Right. What accent? Yes. I, uh, so I grew up in Italy until I was 18 years old, moved to U.S. back in 92 now. So it's been Ooh. forever that I'm in U.S., but my accent never goes away. Um, I started uh, since then. I've been writing books. Um, I've been teaching history in college. Uh, mm-hmm. I teach at a couple of universities in California. And, um, and then I started podcasting back in 2012 and History on Fire specifically in 2015. Okay. By now, I'm hitting almost, I think we're getting close to episode 100 of History on Fire, and considering that each one is like two-hour marathons, right? a lot of recorded material there. That's a lot, yes. yeah. Now, why, though, why did you decide to set History on Fire? I think, I mean, one of the things that really, it's amazing that it took me that long to figure it out, but like the thing that I realized is that I was already podcasting. I was kind of like, I, because I started Drunken Taoist before History on Fire, right? right? So I was already doing podcasts. Most of the people who knew me knew me from podcasts. I taught history for a living already. And one of my favorite podcasts was uh, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. So it really didn't take a genius to start putting two and two together and realize mm. 
Hmm, maybe I should do a history podcast. Right, <laughs> right. That would uh, give uh, reasons for all the history books I read. That there would be a good justification. <laughs> so I started, uh, and you know, from when I said I would start, when I actually started, it was probably a year and a an half, and I worked at it. But mm-hmm. you know, the reality is that first I had to realize how much research to do, how much where to stop how to craft the episodes. But eventually the thing is when you write episodes that are that long, you need to have uh, a good chunk of episodes ready to go before you can release the first. Right. Because otherwise, you know, you release the first and then you tell people, okay, see you in three months. And then you you (laughs) use momentum too quick. So I had, um, you know, I had to create a good chunk of episodes first before releasing the first. So once I finally did it, it had been a long process to get there. Right, right. Um, well, you know, history on fire tells seems to focus mostly on individuals, mm-hmm. uh, like Emmett Till, Bruce Lee, Sitting Bull. I really like the Sitting Bull and Crazy Horse uh, series as well, uh, and Milov Abluchenko, Lady Death. Yeah, uh, that was a that was a very uh, eye opening one. Um, but so, why is it that you do that? Why do you focus on specific individuals? I mean. To me, and not every episode is individuals because, you know, I don't do just biographies, but you're absolutely right in the sense that even when I don't do biographies, when I try to tackle a bigger topic, as much as humanly possible, I try to bring back something through individual eyes, even if it's not a whole episode, even if it's just snippets, because to me, history is much more digestible and more than digestible, more relatable when we uh, talk about an individual that's why we like movies that's why Mm. we like books because uh, you know you see history through the eyes of a character and then you can identify and you can try to picture what it was like that to me is much it's a way to bring a history alive much more than if i were to start rattling off about uh, the economics of 1815 caused Mm. this you know and sure you want to include that part because it's part of history and it's important Mm -hmm. But as much as possible, I would like to filter everything else through the eyes of an individual to make it more relatable. Right, right. Well, that's that's uh, fascinating because, yeah, um, I found too, like that's how I wrote um, the Eastern Front trilogy. Was It's about one person, but it, it illustrates, it brings alive um, a part of history that uh, I don't think is um, well enough understood or appreciated in the West. Mm-hmm. It's certainly appreciated in Eastern Europe. Um, oh. It's a very different perspective there. Uh, but uh, here, eh, not so much. Mm-hmm. Um, now, just to get to that subject that's close to my heart, and that's what this podcast is about. It's been 80 years, roughly, uh, since the Second World War ended. But I find it continues to resonate here in the West. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just look at the number of podcasts and, and, and movies and books are all about it and that are current, they're coming out now. What are your thoughts on how the Second World War shaped our current uh, culture, our current society, our current reality? Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And it's funny that you mentioned that because I just, uh, I did a mini episode for my Patreon about, uh, it's a World War II story about uh, the Japanese uh, retreating in Myanmar, back then it was Burma. And then there's yeah. kind of this historical myth that hundreds of them were eaten by uh, crocodiles. 
probably not entirely true, probably partially true, but blown out of proportion. But the thing that I started, aside for the specific of that story, the thing that I started the episode with was exactly what you said, which is World War II seems to be this never-ending source of uh, history that people gravitate toward. There, you could do just a World War II podcast and never run out of episodes for years, probably, because there's so much. Yeah, yeah. I think there are multiple reasons. You know, for one, it's uh, it's truly a world war that is fought in just about every other continent. Mm-hmm. It's something that dramatically affects the modern world. That. Uh, Everybody, most places in the world, people have stories tied to World War II. They know somebody or their grandparents were or something, you know. Mm. It's also a much easier when it comes to war stories because you had the Nazis on one side and you had, um, you know, Japanese imperialism. It's a much easier war to dive in feeling for people to feel good about mm-hmm. in the sense that there was such a clear and obvious wrong on one side of the equation mm-hmm. that is very easy for most everyone else to feel like the good guys yeah that is not that easy to do in most wars right. most wars are sold that way but rarely the hype fits I think in that one, you know, you just have to look at the Holocaust kind of thing and you say, look, if the enemy is that bad, must mean that we are the good guys, you know? (laughs) And so that's a much easier war to feel good about compared to most. And so for it to enter in popular imagination because people feel like it was the good war, the just Mm -hmm. war, that kind of thing. Yes, and that does get thrown, that term gets thrown around a lot. And now, whether that's fully true or not, that's a different story. But at least that's the um, that's the the perception of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and that that uh, that that's a good sort of tie into my next question. Uh, you know, the there's a clear good guy, a clear bad guy. Do you see any parallels then between um, the Second World War and the events and the trends and the current? Um, military special military operation being carried out in ukraine today i think the the ukrainian story is because it's happening in real time it's slightly mm-hmm. more complicated to come to terms with in real time because of course mm-hmm. we're still getting data we're still getting story we're still filtering between uh, propaganda and reality and all of that i think that's mm-hmm. why usually people tend to historical judgments tend to be much easier after the fact, you know, because yeah. in the real time, you're still going like, oh, wait, I should have thought of that side of the equation. Right. You know, clearly, yeah, the general perception around the world is that this is a war of aggression, a very thinly veiled war of aggression on the part of Russia with poor justifications. That's kind of how most of the world has responded to it. You know, uh, probably that's the way people will still feel about in 10 years, but maybe not. And Mm -hmm. so whereas something like World War II is like has gone through so many decades of people holding a certain opinion about it, um, Ukraine remains to be seen. How is going to be, how that history is going to be written in 10 years. Yeah, yeah. Well, because we haven't even, not even gotten close to a resolution yet at this point. So, um there, there are some parallels that I see, but uh, you can probably draw these comparisons between any 
you know, world events, any two wars or conflicts. Um, but there are some that uh, really strike me. Um, to get back though to uh, to the Second World War, um, are there? You know, I mentioned uh, Ludmila Pavlichenko. Uh, are there any other people from the uh, from the Eastern side of the uh, of the war, the Eastern European side, who stand out to you as people you could talk about, who are fireworthy? I think I should throw the question around to you because uh, you are the expert in that department. You're the one who's done in a whole podcast. So I would actually uh, would humbly ask for suggestions because I'm sure there are 10 million great stories and most of which I don't know about. So, yeah, I would, uh, you know, anything that what strike your imagination in that regard? Well, um, one that I do plan to get to, a person that I, I do plan to uh, to profile at some point Georgi Zhukov, the uh, military head of the um, Soviet forces. Um, I, I don't want to uh, do Stalin uh, as a, you know, a focus, a deep dive into it because there's been so many books and so many podcasts already uh, that you know, um, another uh, history of world war two podcast did, I think a four or five episode series on just on Stalin's life and um, you know he was a fascinating guy and he was robbing banks for a living and stuff like that but uh, I, I I don't know of anything specifically on, on Georgi Zhukov or Semyon Timoshenko or some of the other Soviet commanders one that I, at some point I thought this would be at least a good mini episode if nothing else would be there were uh, there was somebody who uh, when Stalin before Stalin became Stalin when he was about to kill himself for the death of his first wife mm-hmm. uh, there was somebody who talked him out of it and similarly there was somebody who talked Hitler out of killing himself after oh, the failure of the initial coup so it's kind of funny that you figure you know good samaritan who's like yeah. oh no don't suicide is a terrible thing please think about what you can do in life <laughs> and they gave us stalin and hitler so yes wow yeah that would be a fascinating yeah a dual episode or um, yeah. and then and then to think what might have been different um and what might have been the same yeah it could yeah. be a twilight zone episode too right exactly <laughs> Oh, and of course, here's a lesson that I'm learning is that pets have to join every recording session. Of course, that's how it works. Barking at silly thing. Yeah, I think she's jealous of being in California. <laughs> Probably. Okay, but again, the question I want to ask you then, do you think there are some people or sections of, of uh, history um, in the Second World War? Or we'll start with that and then maybe also uh, then broaden it out to give you your choice. Who's getting or what's getting way too much attention? It's time. Yeah, we, we've heard the story. We've read the books. We've got the T-shirts. Move on to something else. I mean, I guess... Uh... 
uh, oh, too much attention is always a relative thing because there's always people who haven't heard that story. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's more relative to how much uh, you have read, you have studied, you have... And granted, you know, the numbers are very different. There are obscure topics that nobody has heard about and there are mm-hmm. ones that a good chunk of people have heard about. But take even the most popular topics out there. There's ton of people who if they know the story at all they barely know it in a three seconds on wikipedia kind of way mm-hmm. so i tend to i tend to feel that even the stuff that people who maybe are specialists cannot like please stop talking to me about it because i've yeah. heard it seven million times the reality is that most people have never heard of it mm-hmm. you know it's like if i if you ask most people in US today, you know, how did the war with Japan end? Most people would have no idea that it ended with nuclear weapons. And really, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, something that basic. Yeah. So the reality is that when you're going for a mass audience and not just specialists, I wouldn't assume anything <laughs> as far as previous knowledge. Right. Uh, would be. And usually, even again, if there is previous knowledge, is very quick look on wikipedia kind of thing not necessarily understanding why it happened what was the drama surrounding it and everything else that brings me to my next question but i see that we now need to take a short break so i hope you come back with daniela and me after this interlude Thanks for coming back after the break. Daniele Bolelli is here with me to talk about his own perspective on the Second World War, informed as it is, with a great deal of education and his extensive research. So, Daniele. Um, I'm adding a question in as it, um, to the list that I sent you because uh, something you just said uh, sparked this. So, talking, you were talking about, um, you know, Experts might may know something deeply, and then others um, have very little conception of it. Even something that a lot of people consider very basic. So, is there then any of uh, any misconception that people have about history, uh, either about the war or anything else that strikes you? You know, it's it's, a, it's wrong. It's factually wrong. You think, hey, we've debunked this. It's just not true, but you know the uh, idea persists, and students or whoever else bring it up, ask you questions about this thing that never happened. I mean, I think it's not even one thing, or I think pretty much anything I can think of. There are people who will like. I stop wondering. I stop assuming that anybody has previous knowledge of anything because I'm always proven wrong when I do. Like sometimes there are things that are so plain and obvious that it's like, come on, everybody knows that. And there are a bunch of people who look really lost and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> I guess that was not yeah. something that I should have assumed. So uh, I really, the specifics are almost irrelevant because pretty much anything you can think of um, most people either don't know at all about, or if they do know it, the knowledge is ridiculously minimal, or often whatever knowledge they have is just off base completely. Hmm. And the thing that's tricky about it is that unless you really know a subject, when you hear somebody talk, you can think 
oh, that sounds like solid evidence. You know, mm. that's the problem with evidence is that unless you already know something, it's very hard to evaluate evidence. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I I listened to a whole thing like uh, on Netflix where they were talking about the myth of uh, Quetzalcoatl in uh, the Mexica, you know, when the Spaniards arrived. And that whole myth is pretty much, I mean, there is a god named that way that existed mm -hmm. within the Mesoamerican pantheon, but the whole mythology about it is made up post-conquest, right. primarily to for the Mexica priests to justify why they couldn't predict the Spaniards arriving. Uh -huh. And, you know, and you read a ton of stuff that take it at face value, like this is this ancient thing that is like, no, it's not. There was nothing pre-Colomb, but unless you have studied, why would you mm -hmm. know? Somebody mm -hmm. tell you that, and it's like, of course, that makes sense. Yeah. Or that's what's tricky about evidence. That uh, I always am curious when people have strong opinions on stuff because unless you have really studied a topic, half of the time you listen to one guy and you go like, yeah, that makes sense. You listen to the other guy and you go, yeah, that makes sense. But because you don't have the tools to evaluate whether their evidence that they support their conclusion is based on something real or not. Right, like uh, Chris Ryan in his book uh, "Civilized to That" used this example that's amazing. Now, he mentioned uh, Stephen Pinker, who mm -hmm. has written lots of books, uh, basically arguing how today is the greatest time ever to be alive, and the past was rough, and this. And one of the things that Pinker says is he talking about hunters and gatherers. He quotes mm -hmm. these one statistics for this one modern population and now they have a really high um, murder rate where lots of people are killed by violence to show, see, hunters and gatherers are really violent. Right. What he forgets to mention is that in his numbers, he's including the hunters and gatherers who are killed by non-hunters and gatherers who are coming to steal their land and so shoot them so that they can turn the Amazon forest into grazing ground. Right. And using the fact that these guys are getting killed by non-hunters and gatherers as a statistic to support that hunters and gatherers are violent mm. is one of those perversion that you look at it like, whoa, that's yes. really bad use of evidence. But again, if you don't know it, you look at it and it's like, oh, man, they have a really high violent rate. Right. They might be violent. Yes. I feel that way about most stuff. Unless you have done your homework about a topic, looking at it from multiple sources, most people have no idea what's real and what's not. Right, right. Um, yeah, and that, uh, the, 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 yeah, this focus on what's in um, in Central and South America too. There's a lot of uh, weird myths that strangely persist, um, mm -hmm. and you know, just get um, <clears throat> even when they're debunked, they um, you know, they come back. Um, there's the myth of uh, that comes up about uh, a blonde Jesus appearing in you know what's now Mexico. Uh, 500 yeah, yeah. years ago or, or 600 years ago or whatever it was. Um, and, uh, and then there's a, the new um, series on, I think it's on Netflix or maybe another streaming service about uh, you know, it, it's the old chariots of the gods, you know, and uh, civilizations that yeah. were so advanced many thousands of years before uh, Sumeria or Egypt and you know people debunk those and and but they they do persist now um and 
and every so often somebody will just take a little thread and say, see, this, this proves it, you know, it must be true. Yeah. And I think that's the problem. It's not even just the problem with history it's the problem with everything It's like, if you look at things, even in modern days, like the people having super strong opinions about COVID and what's useful and what's not, are masks useful, are vaccines useful. And the reality is that like, I'm a fairly well-educated guy and half of the time I have no idea what the answer is about stuff because it's like I, my knowledge of whatever field we are talking about, unless I've really done my homework, is probably not even enough to evaluate contradictory evidence. Right. You know, it's probably. And so I think like there's a tendency to rush to a conclusion without the evidence that uh, studying history teach you not to do you know that's one of the things they hammer into you that whatever you you write wherever you state need to be back with evidence um but that's you know a more academic approach even in popular mm-hmm. history most of it is not like that i mean i read books that i'm blown away at how bad they are in terms of evidence that are a case in point there was um What's that one called? I want to say Empire of the Summer Moon, something like that. Oh. It's a book about the Comanche. That's like one of the most popular books on Native Americans of the last decade. Mm-hmm. And it's so littered with factual mistakes that mm-hmm. it hurts. It's like right. nobody can be this bad. <laughs> and yet not only is uh, pop- like not only is published, which is amazing enough, but it's super popular and people take it and like, oh yeah, this is all evidence of. And they're like, wow, okay, well. And you know, and the problem is when you happen to know about a topic, you see these things. If you don't know about a topic in depth, you can be even smart and well-read in other fields, but something is presented as fact, it sounds reasonable enough and you take it for what it is you take it for granted right right okay yeah um the one that bugs me a lot is, is the you know the perception and and the um the line that's sold is that you know america and britain won the second world war mm-hmm. um and <laughs> uh and uh one thing that really irked me was a, a movie that came out not too long ago um the forgotten war it was called mm-hmm. and um it's about the battle of the Scheldt. In the, at the end of the second world war or near the end uh, a battle that was largely fought by canadians and what i started i couldn't watch the whole movie because there wasn't a single canadian character in it of course <laughs> so you know he starts off with these these british guys flying a plane that crashes somewhere in in holland okay that's a start but yeah um yeah. you know so yeah i'm i'm trying to address a, a few historical myths uh yeah, about the Second World War in the, in the East is it's a topic that yeah, I've learned a bit about. But, you know, it's, as I go in, I still come across, and I guess I'll have to take, remember what you're saying when I'm reading another book. Wait a minute. How well does this guy know this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and is this really a, a, a valid uh, interpretation or a valid conclusion based on everything that is known has been found so far mm-hmm. uh, about that. So uh, uh, maybe, and this will lead me to my whole, second last question is when you're doing your research, what are some of the things that surprised you the most? 
there are stories that are sometimes fantastic stories that nobody knows about, even people who are fairly well educated in history. And these are not stories even, like I'll give you an example. I did once an episode about, um, uh, it's called The Pirate Queen, and it's mm. about uh, this lady who lived at the end of the 1700s, well into the 1800s, and she was by far the most successful pirate who ever lived. In, the, in she was Chinese in China, right? in China yes yeah and, I heard that one yeah um, you know you get you know in the golden age of piracy throughout the Caribbean there were probably I don't know estimates vary but maybe five six seven thousand pirates active maybe even less she had 60,000 pirates under her own command in China she beat the British Navy the Chinese Navy the Portuguese Navy until the Chinese government had to beg her, say, what do we need to do to make you stop? And she realized that, you know, eventually you cannot win forever. So she realized, yeah. get out when the good is, when things are still good. And um, and she said, okay, pardon for all of my men and we got to keep all our money. And the Chinese government signed it and that was it. And she lived happily ever after, which is not exactly a common uh, pirate story. No. And, you know, this did not happen 3,000 years ago in a forgotten place where there are no historical record. This happened in China 200 years ago. Yeah, just 200 and years yet, ago. And yet, it's a story that hardly anybody knows. You right. know? So I'm always amazed by super powerful stories that are out there, but that for one reason or another have kind of slipped through... Um, like they haven't received the attention they deserve because mm. uh, and sometimes you know something like these pirates don't write their history chinese no. government wasn't exactly thrilled with advertising how they got their ass kicked by um by a group of pirates so while it's somewhat known it's not a topic that where they're like yeah let's encourage scholarship on these and it, mm -hmm. you know it's like... so mm. it's always funny when you run into topics like that Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, they do surprise you. Know, various things surprise me too, just digging into the uh, the history that I'm, I'm looking at. So um, I'm going to let you go. I won't keep you too much longer. You can enjoy the sunshine there. <laughs> um, actually, it's sunny here too, but um, I won't be going outside uh, without a lot of clothing on. So if I could ask you, maybe you give uh, my listeners a, a little sneak peek. Uh, what's coming up on History on Fire? Let me take a look at what. So I'm doing two things with History on Fire. One is that there was a period of three years in which I was producing 15 episodes uh, 15 episode per, per year, but like mm -hmm. only two were released to the public and 13 were behind the paywall. All right. So now I'm releasing all of those. So right now I just started a sitting bull series about Lakota history and it goes takes through the ghost dance and wounded knee. That's like the longest series I've ever done. It's five episodes over 10 hours of material on it. So that's kind of what I'm working on right now. Or rather that's I'm not working. I'm just releasing because that's already done. Mm -hmm. Things that I'm planning on covering coming up, I have um, I have a nice cheerful episode about the massacre of El Mozote, which is a god-awful story from the 1980s in El Salvador, oh. where an American-trained Salvadorian army just wiped out a village of peasants that had nothing to do with the conflict. But the idea was that in the middle of a civil war, there, there was no room for neutrality. 
Ah. So it's kind of as it's a small story in one way, but on the other end, it's a big story in terms of how it relates to the Cold War in general. And related to that, I actually, once in a rare while, I do a more philosophical episode, and I want to do one of those where I'll talk about how throughout history the, the mentality of we versus them is essential in order to have any conflict. Because it's very hard otherwise to just go out and kill human beings that you feel are just like you. So the, why and how do we dehumanize enemies? Why and how this process takes place? And so I want to do one of those that's somewhat more, more philosophical in nature. And then uh, let's see a couple of others. I'm doing one that's kind of funny because that's an unusual one. I'm doing one about Brazilian outlaws in the 1920s and 1930s, the Cangaceiros. Oh, okay. So I'm doing that mm-hmm. one, and I'm doing. I'm gonna be doing a series, a couple of episodes about the samurai Miyamoto Musashi. I'm uh, sorry, what was that? Miyamoto Musashi is like a famous oh. samurai. Okay. He was uh, lived in the um, end of the 1500s into the 1600s, and he's probably one of the most famous uh, samurai of legend. Mm. And, you know, there's a lot of legends surrounding him, so kind of parsing out the history from the legend is uh, part of what that series is about. Oh, okay. Well, that's uh, always something to look forward to. I have to say I, I did listen to... Um the uh the sitting bowl series when it was behind the paywall um <clears throat> i better not tell my wife i spent the money on that uh, <laughs> uh but uh, just to say it was it was really good that was one of my favorite um it's favorite series the favorite things to listen to on uh on a podcast uh it was so illuminating and what um what real well one of the things that struck me about it too is it's really it's it's quite recent history i mean it goes back a hundred or a little bit more than a hundred years but um there's a lot about the the world that you described that we can still see today mm-hmm. um and so uh and uh it provides a very different um uh, idea a very different image than we get from hollywood most of the time yeah, yeah, yeah. so um so and yeah one is free now so everybody can get it yeah okay that'd be great yeah so uh beyond barbarossa listeners when you're finished with this one uh tune into his history on fire uh for some real uh, eye-opening education uh, that is also really entertaining to listen to so with that um daniele I, I want to thank you again for, for your generous time, uh, letting me pick your brain about podcasting and about history. And, um, and uh, I invite all the uh, listeners again, uh, check out History on Fire and uh, follow uh, Daniele's uh, adventures in podcasting land. Again, Wait, thank you thank so much you. for having me. Okay. Take care. Once again, thank you, Daniela Bolelli. You can find Daniela Bolelli's podcast, History on Fire, on all the podcasting platforms, and I strongly urge you to do so. It's educational, it's informative, and it's entertaining. Can't do better than that. That's History on Fire. You can also visit his website, historyonfirepodcast.com.
And thank you for listening to Beyond Barbarossa, the podcast about the Eastern Front of the Second World War. The website beyondbarbarossa.ca has maps, historical photos, and other resources to help you get a full understanding of the Second World War in Eastern Europe. It also has a full list of all the episodes with links and a player so you can listen to it in your browser. You can also listen to the episode on my own website, writtenword.ca. Just click on the podcast button in the banner. Thank you to all who have supported the podcast through Patreon or the Podbean app. Your financial support goes to better audio equipment, research, and support for charities that help Ukrainian refugees. If you like this episode, please follow Beyond Barbarossa on your preferred podcasting app. And I'd really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever you listen. That helps spread the word to others interested in history. If you find I've made any errors, please let me know. You can reach me by email at contact at beyondbarbarossa.ca or through the Facebook Beyond Barbarossa page. Original music was composed and recorded by Nicholas Burry. I'm Scott Burry. Until next episode, keep your paddles in the water. Slava Ukraine.